0: Grab your Bibles now and open them to um, the book of Hebrews. And we will finish up Hebrews 11 this morning. Um, I tried to keep it to 12 sermons uh, out of Hebrews 11. I, I ended up with 15, so I failed you. But um, we'll um, finish up Hebrews 11 this morning, and then I'll finish up the book of Hebrews when I get back uh, later on this fall. Uh, speaking of when I get back, uh, Susan, I'll be gone for three Sundays. Um, Lester Newsom will be back next Sunday. You love less. Um, Ronnie Stevens, the former pastor at um, First Evan, will be here on the 10th. And then Randy Ray, a man who was raised in this church, will be here on the 17th. So, um, and I'll be in the land of Esther. Um, a little bit dicier situation uh, than, than before. But I, I want you to know this, guys. The, the, the men that I will be teaching, and, and I have been told, and, I've, and it was repeated to me because I inquired, that I'm going to be filmed and broadcast in to this nation via satellite, um, and I am going to get to introduce uh, the land of Esther to uh, reformational theology. And I'm I'm thrilled, but the men who will be there live uh, are risking their lives. Uh, we're not. We don't think uh, we're not, but they are. And so, but we would appreciate your prayer for all of us as we meet um, around the five solas, which are the summary of Reformational theology. Thank you for the prayer. Now, you follow as I read from a book that's inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired. It is God's mind as expressed in black words on a white page. Um, I'll start at verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this this holy book, this endures forever. Perhaps you may have noticed the, um, the title of my sermon this morning. Um, I entitled it that way because, um, because I'm mean. Uh, uh, guys, I may be mean, but that, that is not one, one proof of it. Um, but I would love to ask Joel Osteen how he could ever preach this text. Um, but not just Joel Osteen, but all of those in this movement called the Prosperity Gospel Movement. I'd like to ask Joel Osteen, how could you send a copy of your bestseller book, Your Best Life Now? That's the title of the book. How could you send that book to any of these people mentioned here? How could any of you, in what's known has come to be known as the prosperity gospel movement, how could you preach this? But, ladies and gentlemen, let me assure you, it's not a gospel. It's not the gospel. It's, um, in fact, it's cruel. In fact, but even more than it being cruel, it's false. But it's cruel because it is false. Let me explain that. There is a a story in Acts chapter 15 where the church gets together to discuss an issue. It's called the Jerusalem Council. You can find it in Acts 15. But the whole church calls this this, uh, conference because they need to discuss an issue. And the issue that they need to discuss is whether or not they're going to require new converts um, to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And so they meet, Peter, Paul, James, they all meet in, in Jerusalem, there's a bunch of them, and they have this great long discussion. And they, they come to the conclusion no, we can't do that because that would be to assault the gospel, to add something to it. So they, they send out an envoy, um, an envoy of people Barnabas, Saul, Silas, uh, Paul, Silas, and they, they write them a letter, they put a letter in their hands. The letter is to be read to their audiences in all these little villages surrounding Jerusalem about the conclusions that the conference had come to. Now, in that letter that was to be read, there is this one sentence I want to read you. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. Ladies and gentlemen, error is always unsettling. It's always troubling to the people of God. It's cruel. It's cruel to tell them things that aren't true because it's unsettling to the mind. It troubles the people of God. I'll give you a better example. Uh, you know the name Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I guess, is my favorite of the prophets. Um, but uh, he was one of God's most esteemed servants, Jeremiah. On one occasion, uh, during the course of his prophetic ministry, he is arrested. He is tried and found guilty of being faithful to the message God had given to him. And so they take him and they put him in a cistern. Now, if you don't want a cistern, it's just a, a place where water is collected. Uh, they call it a well. But they take him to this cistern and they throw him in. And uh, the text says that he sinks into the mud up to his armpits. And then they leave him. They leave him there to die. Now, here's what I want you to do. In your mind's eye, I want you to go to that cistern, and I want you to lean over the edge of it, and I want you to say, Hey, Jeremiah, I just read this fabulous book. It's called Your Best Life Now. And I'm going to throw the copy down to you so, so that you can read it and, and just see all that you're missing out on <laughs> and, and really how, how deficient you are. You think Jeremiah was encouraged by that? You know, ladies and gentlemen, in a, in a lot of ways, a text like the one that I read you this morning... Is really a test of your whole view of inspiration. Guys, to explain, I, I, under, I understand why the, popularity, why the prosperity gospel is so popular. It's popular because it offers me everything that my flesh craves. Everything that my human nature craves, it offers it to me. And then it ignores passages such as these and others, kind of papers over them. But my question to you is, is this not God's word too? Is it? Do, do, I, get, do I have permission to, um, to ignore passages like these? Do I? Guys, um, he's got the popular message. I've got the unpopular one. But the real issue has nothing to do with popularity. It doesn't even have to do with my faithfulness to God's Word. It has to do with what is true. And you need to decide that. And you need to base your findings on, every, on this book and everything that's in it, including Hebrews eleven thirty five 35 through 40. And know, oh, by the way, for you, um, for you tender souls out there that may think it is very uncharitable of me to mention a name, I just want you to know that Paul does it. He does it a couple of times. Here's one. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I don't know who Alexander the coppersmith was. I just know that... Paul took his head off for what he for what he did. So how Mr. Olsen How do you preach this? Well, let's go to the text and and, and try to handle it with some degree of faithfulness. Um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago or so, you know, we study the book of Galatians uh, on Wednesday nights. And uh, uh, on Wednesday nights, we came to a passage, to one verse in Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 29. And I'd love for you to see if you can find it. It's um, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, um, Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. We came to this verse, and it reads like this Now, you brothers, well, no, excuse me, that's 29, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Now, guys, um, he says just as at that time. What time? What time is he talking about? What time frame were we talking about here? Well, it was back in Abraham's day. And you know, Abraham uh, was married to Sarah. Uh, Sarah was um, barren, which meant that Abraham had no heir. And so Sarah came up with the idea, why don't you go into my uh, handmaid, my Egyptian slave girl impregnate her and then you can call him your heir. So Abraham liked that idea. And so he goes in uh, to Hagar. She does get pregnant and has a son, and they name him of course Ishmael. Um, but then God shows up and says, no, that's not the one I want to use. I won't be using Ishmael. In fact I'm gonna be I'm gonna be using the one that Sarah bears. And Sarah says, wait a minute, I, I'm way beyond uh, my procreative years. Um but God says, no, no you're, you're going to have a baby and uh, that's the one I'm going to use. He's going to be the child of the promise that I'm making. You're going to have a son. Sure enough, she gets pregnant and has a son. And his name, of course, is Isaac. Now, that's what it says, uh, but just as at that time. That's the time I just told you about. Listen, just like at that time, he who has he who was born according to the flesh... Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, Isaac. Now notice, did you you see those last few words? So also it is now. Just like you saw at that time that the sons of unbelief persecuted the sons of belief, So it is also now, guys. The sons of Ishmael still persecute the sons of Isaac. It, it's history repeating itself. And and I and I want you to notice that in this this um, this Hebrews passage, the only offense these people gave, these ones that were sawn in two and killed by the sword and all, the only offense they gave was their faith. They were tortured wholly on account of men's hatred of God and his word. Gang, persecution is a consequence of faithfulness. We didn't bring that on ourselves. It's the result of darkness hating light. There is no ambivalence of the darkness towards the light. It is the involuntary response of darkness to hate light. You know, gang, I, I guess um, that one of the greatest illustrations of the depravity of man can be seen in this text. That um, not only do they persecute Christians, but they devise, they invent The the most fiendish methods of persecution imaginable. You remember Nero? The ruler of Rome? Nero would take Christians and he would dip them into pitch, into tar. And he would make street lamps out of them. You know, in wartime because of the Geneva convention certain methods are outlawed but not in this war not in the war of between belief and unbelief how do you explain that how do you explain that this is the most fiendish methods imaginable been used against people of faith. I know how I explain it. It's because of the existence of a personal devil. I said this to you last week, quoting John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, when Apollyon says, I hate your prince, I hate his word, and I hate his people. And so the culture has become the willing servant of Satan threatening and maligning and and demonizing people of faith, Christian faith, not the Hindus, not the Buddhists, and certainly not the Muslims. No, 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 they're off limits. It's the Christians who get maligned and tortured because they dare to believe and teach that Jesus Christ is the only way that any man will ever be reconciled to God. That's the message that the prosperity gospel folk just can't bring themselves to teach. They go on Larry King Live and they stumble and utter these tortured responses about getting around that somehow. Gang, if if you have been following the argument that is the argument of Hebrews 11 of this author, then all he's doing in this last paragraph is that he's referring specifically to what has been the elephant in the room all along. That being the existence of of the persecution of believing men at the hands of unbelief. It acts as sort of a sieve by which God sifts his people. Guys, there's there's no higher um, expression of faith than that which brings us to patiently submit to whatever God sends us. let Let me try to illustrate that. You know, um, I used this verse last week, Romans 8, 28, great promise, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Let's just say I come to you and you just got promoted at work and you got a big old bonus with that promotion and, and your health is good and the kids are fine and your marriage is sweet and I say to you, all things work together, together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And you say, that's right, preacher boy. You preach it. Yes, sir. (laughs) I agree with you. I love that promise. Let me change it. You just lost your job. You have breast cancer. Your son is on drugs. And your spouse just left you. And I say, All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you feel that? Do you feel that inner turmoil, that inner conflict that's going on inside you now? You know what that is? That is the demand of faith, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, Um at the very outset of the Christian life we were asked to count the cost none of us none of us were tricked into enlistment and so in this final paragraph of hebrews 11 the author is simply reminding us of the cost He's reminding us that God only had one son without sin. But he doesn't have any sons who were not persecuted. In this paragraph, you see you see people who are refusing to be released though it was offered. Because apparently it came at the price of apostasy or denial. They're given two options. It's in verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. And here were their two options. We'll set you free if you just deny all this Jesus business. Or you can hold on to that if you like. But it's going to be pain and rejection and suffering and torture and so the real question for them became okay what do I believe the most what do I value the most is it, is it my present comfort of my earthly bodies that, that, I, that, I, that I value the most or do I believe all this talk about eternity and heaven and all that, all that business um, am, I, am I more interested in the eternal interest of my soul Now, gang, I want you to notice that they made their choice. It's in verse 35. It's very clear. Look at it. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Hey, that's pretty practical, isn't it? I mean, what you believe affected all of their choices. It was love for and faith in the promises of God, that determined their choices. And, and and we find something like that unimaginable. And and you know, guys, I know there's lots of reasons why, but let, let me tell you about what I think is one of the reasons. One of the reasons that we find that so unimaginable is that we have so much. They didn't. They didn't have very much to lose, but oh, we do. And all of that stuff just kind of binds us to this life. It attaches us. And then we don't we don't want to we don't want to give that stuff up. No, sir. And, gang, um, you must see this. You must get it because it's key. The thing that led them to their choice was that they were looking towards a resurrected life Um that they might be rise again that they might rise again to a better life that's the thing that became the decision maker but here's what i would have you note we have that same promise but our choices seem to be so different. Guys, there's nothing lethargic. There's nothing passive. There's nothing dormant about faith. It's very practical. It influences most of the choices that we make. Now, one other thing that I want you to see or understand about this. These people who are being described in this paragraph, they are they were all imperfect, flawed people, just like us. Heroes, yes. Perfect, no. You see, guys, great faith and spiritual perfection are, are not the same thing. These were flawed. Broken people who made choices because they believed so intensely that they would rise again to a better life. Tortured, it says. Why would anyone endure such a thing if they were offered a release? There it is. Right there. And by the way, this is not the only place it's found in this chapter. Uh, Abraham, you know, he was because he was looking for a city with foundations. Moses, uh, he left uh, uh, Pharaoh's house because he was looking for the reward. Here it is again. It's all over this, ladies and gentlemen. That one piece of your belief system. This is very influential in how you make choices. Now, there's one more clause in here that I want you to see before I quit. And um, I just couldn't, I just had to include this. It's in verse 38, um, which verse 38 opens this way. Of whom the world was not worthy. These people being described here, the author says, these are people, as flawed as they were, of whom the world was not worthy. the world doesn't agree with that, but I I wonder just how little the world realizes how much it owes to those people that they hate so passionately. Remember the story about Abraham in in Genesis 18 where uh, these mysterious uh, visitors show up and they're going to they're going to destroy Sodom, and, and Abraham says, well, wait, wait. I mean, what if there are 50 righteous people? They well, we won't do it. What about 40? Well, we won't do it. What about 30? Well, 20? I mean, if there's 15, what about that? What about, he gets all the way down to five. Well, if there's five there, we won't destroy it. And then you go to the next chapter, Lot's still in there, and the angel comes and says, you got to get out of here because God's not going to act until you're gone. There's another story in Genesis 30 where Laban says to Jacob, I know that I'm blessed because you're here. What would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if God would see fit to remove all of his people? Judgment. Gang, in in Matthew chapter 3, Christians are called the salt of the earth. You know that? Remember remember that? So what are the properties of salt? Well, uh, you know, when, uh, when I was making fudge as a kid, if you forgot the salt, then you ruined the batch of fudge. And you needed the salt because it just, it just added zest and it brought out the flavor of the fudge. But, 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 but what were the properties of salt in this culture? Because they weren't making fudge. The, the, the properties were that salt was rubbed into meat to keep it from decaying. And the implication very clearly is that the the world is rotting and we're the salt. The Christian's main function with respect to society is not to provide health, but it is to retard putrefaction. How? By one's individual life the way you live out your life matters, ladies and gentlemen. The only optimism available in our world today is the presence of, Jesus, uh, the presence of Christianity within it. The presence of people of whom the world is not worthy. Remove them. And all hell, literally, will break loose. The author closes this chapter with a little epitaph in verses 39 and 40. He's describing people who died without ever seeing any of their promises fulfilled, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is called faith. And those are the people who are commended by God. Now, my brother and sister... Do you think you can do this? Do you think that you can persevere into the end without ever having any of his promises come to pass in your lifetime? Can you do that? Yes. Yes, we can. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the essence of faith. Faith demands that we let eternity tell the tale. We let eternity balance the books. These people believed perseveringly in him who was to come, promised for centuries, but he never came in their lifetimes. But they endured to the end in faith. Can you do that? Can you go on living differently, enduring scorn and mocking, even though you never have one concrete proof that what you hope in is true? Because you know we believe that Jesus is coming again. Can you do this when God disappoints you? Can you do it when he doesn't meet your expectations? Can you live a different life in a period of redemptive history that's called the already but not yet? Can you? Yes. How? By faith. Guys, these last two verses I think would suggest that even more is expected of us than was expected of them. Why? Well, it says because we have something better. Christ is already come and gone. They had shadows. we We have substance. But I believe in him more than what inundates me day in and day out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called faith. And when this author got ready to give you a 40-verse treatment of what it means to live by faith, he started like this. And without faith, it is impossible. Not unlikely, not rare, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Are you a man, a woman, a faith? Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us through this portion of your word that um, the world of unbelief has set itself against the world of belief, that it should not surprise us that um, that the news media want to make us out to look fiendish and ignorant and mindless and bigoted none of which is true. And I pray, oh God, that you will provide a refuge for your people. Not so much in this church, but in the promises that you've made to us that are so valued in this church. Might you provide a place for us all to run and hide when the world stretches out its fist against us. Father, it is those people who we long to reach with the gospel. Would you open doors for us in such a way that we can overturn their misapprehensions and that we might represent the Savior in beauty. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you convince them that the need is great and the hour is late? We uh, commit ourselves to representing you well. Help us to do so. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name, amen.